do today's Torah and tea. Usually we do on the portion of Acharei. But we, we definitely dedicated this class today. We're all under the, um, I guess, under the events that took place at the Chabad house in, near San Diego, Poway. Uh, you know, the terrible, terrible uh, situation. A woman died, Al-Kiddush Hashem. She died because she was Jewish. She came to the shul. She came to Daven. She came to say Yisker. And then she was just murdered brutally, gunned down by this murderous terrorist uh, whatever, supremacist, white supremacist, uh, whoever, but he uh, definitely, uh, you know, that was, you know, something that shattered, you know, a lot of people, you know, we go to shul, we go to temple, and we don't, you know, we sort of don't feel safe anymore, because, you know, this is already the second incident, the half a year to the date, after Pittsburgh, it don't make a difference, conservative, orthodox, Chabad, reform, it doesn't make a difference, you know, uh, they come there because right. you're Jewish, and right. it's the inherent hatred right. uh, that they have, the anti-Semitism that they have. And I guess, you know, a lot of people have interpretation who is to blame. I mean, it's an age-old problem, but, I mean, we didn't expect it now in this country, in the time we live in. We know in Europe, we know in Israel, we know in Europe it's been going on a lot more openly. But over here, we sort of didn't think that this is, you know, going to take... This extremes, uh, the golden of Medina, and unfortunately, this happens on a yomtiv, on a holiday, in a shul, and a terrorist. But that's one aspect of it, and we, uh, you know, sort of we mourn the loss and we we honor the memory of a a person who was killed uh, because they're Jewish, is known as a kadosh or kadosha, which means they're holy, and there's nothing higher. Uh, and, and nothing accounts for anything that they may have done. They are in a special place in Gan Eden. Matter of fact, it says that they can go straight to Gan Eden, but they don't want to enter Gan Eden, bring down in the Zohar. And they wait and they say for Hashem to take revenge for the blood that was spilled from the enemies, uh, uh, from those terrorists that Hashem should avenge their blood. They're not ready to go in until Hashem will protect them. Uh, or we'll take, we'll make them pay the other ones. So that's, you know, that's a very hard, you know, question. You know, how do we deal with, you know, such incidents which shatter ours, shatter our safety? And we see an innocent person coming to Shul Daven. And by the way, I mean, it sounds like a nice story, but from the first hand, from the rabbi himself, I saw him in several videos. I saw his article in the New York Times. It's not true that the woman went in front of him to save his life. That's not a true, that's a made-up story. Uh, he, he said that's well, not I true. I bet she would have if she... Okay, but, but you know what, you don't need to embellish it to make a nice story of something which didn't yeah. happen. The, 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 the fun is the rabbi found her on the ground. She was already shot when he... When he yeah. And the, the, the rabbi himself took two bullets and he lost mm-hmm. one and both of them hit his index finger. Yeah. Uh, he lost one finger, the other one they're working on. Hopefully they're going to save it. So we also wonder yeah. how, how could Hashem let this happen? Okay, so that's, that's one, one, one question. Uh, there's no question that there's nothing greater than, their, uh, than, than, their, than this people's level of, 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 of Kiddush Hashem. That's one thing. On the other hand, you know, we are really witness to a massive, massive miracle that took place over here. I mean, this is this is a massive miracle. God forbid this terrorist would have been able to succeed 
and his plan. I mean, we would have had a, a, a terrible massacre. We would have had a terrible, terrible massacre. I mean, all what happened was, all what happened was that his gun jammed, his rifle jammed. And uh, if it didn't jam, it was a full hundred people were there. You know the story which just happened, you know, just a little bit ago. The guy went into shooting into another house of worship and he went in and shut up, killed 50, 60 people over there. I mean, that's what he would do. So, isn't this a miracle? But what's bothering me, and I'll tell you what I was thinking about, uh, was bothering me and I was thinking about that. And by the way, you know, if anybody has any suggestions, I'm open to suggestions. I, what bothered me really, if Hashem made such a great miracle, why couldn't that gun jam before it killed that lady? Why that woman? It, okay, so you have a question. But then what, 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 what troubles me is people are wondering, is this really a miracle? You know, is this a miracle? How could you say it's a miracle? If it was a miracle, so how come somebody died? How come the rabbi lost his finger? How come people were injured? So, it sort of throws in a little bit of a, a monkey wrench in our minds. So, how do we, uh, how do we strengthen uh, ourselves? The first thing, though, uh, I, want, I want to talk a little bit about Kiddush Hashem. I want to talk a little bit about what it means to die as a Jew for being Jewish in a shul, especially, which, what, what, what level this is. Uh, there is a... Uh, a letter that the Rebbe wrote. Uh, there was a terrible tragedy in the village of Kfar Chabad. Kfar Chabad was recently founded at the time in Israel. It used to be known as Sepharia. That's near near Tel Aviv. And um, and Chabad basically developed that whole settlement. About you know this was shortly after the uh, Israel was founded. So Chabad moved in, and they, of course, in the spirit of Chabad, they uh, reached out to uh, unaffiliated Jews and invited them. And one of the things that they did, they built, was a Bet Sefer Lamlacha. That was a school in which they taught you a trade. And they realized, uh, the Rebbe realized that not everybody can take such a rigorous uh, education, like a full-time yeshiva <laughs> student. We have to provide a basic elementary uh, religious education, but also to comes together with training for a job, so that these people, these kids, when they grow up, you know, after going to the army, coming out, they'll have a trade that they can make a honest living and still, you know, be, you know, committed, you know, Jews. And a terrible tragedy happened that in one of the uh, one of the evenings over there. A, uh, a couple of terrorists came in and they shot up, uh, they killed the teacher and several of the students. It was a terrible, terrible, devastating to the whole. It was a, they, these people had just come after so much suffering in, in the Soviet Union and you know trying to rebuild and in Israel. They felt safe and this was sort of shattered them and it really uh, was something that uh, caused so much distress and there was you know there was the natural inclination is to maybe run away to hide to 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 to, to find to back off and to go back and um, 
And the Rebbe wrote them a letter. And, and, and first the Rebbe said that uh, I didn't answer right away because the Rebbe says it's very hard for me to write after you know what took place. It's impossible to really uh, write about it. Uh, but he says some people try to give explanations. You know, and we're going to talk a little bit about it, but some people try to give explanations uh, that, you know, sometimes, as we were going to talk about later on, um, people that are closest to Hashem, um, Hashem takes them in ways known to Hashem, not in the in the natural way. They are able to make a Kiddush Hashem, as we'll say. But the Rebbe says, you know, the explanation bothers me, and it's not really, uh, uh, you know, it's not really so understood. He's not happy with that. And the Rebbe says, all what I can do is, as we're going to see in the Parsha, it says, Vayidom Aaron. Aaron was silent. You know, there's, you just got to accept sometimes you can't, there's nothing to say, nothing to be said, nothing to be uh, verbalized, nothing to explain, just accept and, and silent and say, you know, we, we have a blessing anytime when a loved one passes on. So we make this special bracha. We said Baruch. We say Dayan Ha'emet. That's the blessing we make for uh, the true judge. Basically it means, and then we have the special prayer we do at the cemetery. It's called the Tzidok Adin. That is we accepting of the judgment of Hashem and that's it. So that doesn't mean, you know, Ebishter knows, basically we say God knows what he's doing and we don't have. That's what the Rebbe said. But the Rebbe says that only applies to the explaining why it has you trying to find interpretation. However, what is the outcome of this? Um, that's not in doubt. What we need to, our response needs to be. So he says, just like when the uh, in Egypt, what does it say over there in the Torah? It says, V'chasher ya'anu oso ken yirbeh v'chein yifrotz. The more that they afflicted them, the more that they hurt them, the more that they made their uh, lives miserable, the more the Jews increased, and the more they burst out, and the stronger they became. So basically, not to retreat and not to back off. Not because something happened will stop going to shul, not because something happened will become less uh, involved or will become scared, will become frightened, uh, but we have to go ahead and stay strong. Of course, we have to take all rational measures to try to be safe 100% but not to back off in the face of terror and giving in to the terror and having them get their way. Um, that is what the message basically was from the rabbi. And, uh, it's like an amazing, amazing, um, articulated it and it's his, his courage and his strengths. I don't know if you saw some yeah. of the YouTube videos or some of his yeah. Yeah. presence and his way he articulated all this mm -hmm. and how he encouraged people to become stronger and not to run away. That's 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 very, very sobering and a very strong message. Yes, go ahead. I, I heard him um, interviewed like the next morning on um, NBC, I think yeah. it was. Yeah. And the, the, um, the, the, I don't know what he called the commentator, whatever the television announcer that was talking to him was so moved 
Did you, did you hear, I don't know if it was the same one that I watched like you, afterwards the two commentators were talking to each other, the reporters, maybe it was a different station, and one turns to the other and says, it's amazing that people say from the congregation that their faith has been strengthened. And I'm hearing that on public TV, they're saying their faith has been strengthened. So, so what I want to accomplish in today's class, basically, is and th- some thoughts that are going through my own mind, is how to resolve the contradiction. How do we keep our faith? And, you know, again, my question is, what bothers me, on one hand, we saw a tremendous kindness of Hashem. His gun jammed. There wasn't a massacre. There wasn't 50, 100 people dead over there, which could have very easily happened if we didn't see an open miracle. So, on one hand, we want to celebrate Hashem's miracle for saving us. Like we say, in the Haggadah, Lavaseinu, that every generation they stand up, and Hashem stands up, saves us from their hand. So that's on one hand. But if Hashem saved us from their hands, why didn't Hashem save that woman over there? And that sort of brings you the question, okay, so maybe Hashem isn't saving us, uh, if Hashem is saving us. So you, you, what I, what I want to tell myself and I want to speak about today is that no, the miracle, there's no question that there was a miracle over here. The question is, and if we have to see, so why not, let's see if we can sort of try to sort this out. But it should not for one second stop us from our real uh, experience of seeing an open miracle. You know, I watched a short clip from an Israeli uh, official who was during the time of the Gulf War. He was in charge of the internal security of Israel. And he said on the TV show that he that I saw the clip of, he says, you won't find a bigger atheist than myself, he says. You know, I don't believe in anything, he says, basically. But I have to say to you, <laughs> even me, I have to say there's something to it. He says, why? He says, because I went to visit the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he says, before that war. And the Rebbe told me, he says, that Israel is the safest place. They will shoot in Israel, but nobody's going to get hurt. He said, it's unexplainable. There were 39 scuds that Saddam Hussein shot on Israel. None of them, none of the 39 scuds hit anybody. It was somebody from a scared attack or something like that. They shot one scud in the American barracks, and guess like 200 soldiers got killed over there in one shot. So you're going to say, again, oh, this is such a great miracle, but how come, you know, some people do die, you know, how come? You know, does that mean that because this woman died, that it wasn't a miracle because of that? And if it was a miracle, why wasn't there a complete miracle? So, first to I want to bring down the verse, so let's study inside a little bit. This is from this week's Parsha, the per- verse number one. That's the starting of the verse, the verse, the first verse, okay? So the verse starts in this week's Parsha. It says, By Daber Hashem el Moshe, God speaks to Moshe, Acharei Mois Shnei Bnei Aaron, after the death of the two sons of Aaron. This was a terrible tragedy. And this was also 
sort of in the height of the jubilation. The Jewish people were in the greatest celebration. They finally built the temple. They finally got the divine fire to come and eat the sacrifices. Everybody was there. It was on the first day of Nisan. It was a day that went into history as probably the most prominent of days which most miracles and great things took place in that day. Smack in the middle of all that, the Torah says that the Torah starts with the two sons of Aaron died. The two sons of Aaron died and it says they came close to Hashem. They came close to Hashem and they died. They came close to Hashem. Where do they die? They came close to Hashem. They went inside of the Ohel Moed, inside of the Tent of Meeting, into the sanctuary. That's where they entered. They entered into the sanctuary. You know, today we don't have a sanctuary, a real sanctuary. But a shul is a really a sanctuary. That is the Migdash Ma'at. That is the miniature sanctuary we have today. That's a synagogue. So, Bikarvasam Lifnei Hashem, they came close to Hashem, they went into the synagogue, they went into the Vayomusu, and they died over there, inside a shul, inside a holy place, a place of a sanctuary, where Hashem is sanctified, that is where they died. When they came close to Hashem, it's explained in the commentators that they came close, they were full of love, and they were full of emotional levels of closeness to Hashem and they expired. Now, let's go back to the previous parsha where it talks about what happened. So let's go over the next verse is two parshas ago, that's in the parsha Shemini. So let's just quickly read through the story. So what happened over there? This is directly from the Chumash. It says, The sons of Aaron, each one, each one took their uh, frying uh, their pants, and they placed uh, fire, so they brought incense, they came close to Hashem, they brought this into the tent of meeting, this was a strange fire which Hashem did not command them. That was normally work that was designated for Aaron, the high priest, they went, the sons, they went, they wanted to go into the Ome, they did a service which they wasn't, wasn't theirs. So what happens with all the explanations, there's a lot of lot to talk about the various different interpretations over here and the Rebbe's insight over here. But then the verse says, Hashem. So a fire goes out from before God. And it consumed them. And then they died before Hashem. In this case, Hashem took their lives. So now, there's an interesting verse, verse number three. So, and again, I just want to make this introduction again, because the Rebbe said, we're not looking for explanations. I'm not looking for an explanation why Hashem did. I'm looking for an explanation why, why this is really a miracle. And even though there was a terrible tragedy, this was a, ter- a tremendous miracle. We should be strengthened. Unfortunately, there's a terrible tragedy over here. But we should not, cool off our excitement of the great miracle took place here because it was such a terrible, devastating tragedy. So what does Moshe say to Aaron? He says to Aaron, 
This is what God has told me, saying, Bikroi vai ekodish. I will become sanctified with those that are closest to me. Those who are closest to me will make me holy. And on the face of all the people, I will be honored. Moshe says to Aaron, you know, this is, these are the people, those that are closest to me. And then Rashi brings down, I'm not going to read the Rashi, but Rashi brings down over here, Moshe saying to Aaron, look, we are the two big shots, right? Uh, I am the king, I'm the leader, I'm Moshe Rabbeinu, you're the high priest, Kohen Gadol. Hashem told me in the past that I will be known and I will become, uh, I will be known and I will become honored through those who are closest to me. But I added to Hashem said, "I be honored me." So Moshe said, "Who is more closer to Hashem? Moshe, Aaron, one of us." But Moshe said to Aaron, "No, no, no, no. The sons, your sons, Nadav and Abihu, who passed away, they are the closest of Hashem because they are the ones." that are sanctifying Hashem and bringing honor to Hashem. And in order to have such a privilege to be able on a global, on an unprecedented way to bring honor to Hashem, to be closest to Hashem, you have to be really close to Hashem. An ordinary person can serve Hashem and work hard a whole life to become close to Hashem to do everything right, but they don't have the privilege to be able to say that they glorified Hashem, they sanctified Hashem, they brought an awareness, they brought a new revival of the, of the, they brought a new revival of the, um, of, of, of Hashem's glory. Yizkadal, what does that mean? Let it be great and holy the name of the Great One, Hashem's name. Who can do Yizkadal v'Yizkadash Shmei Rabo? He's saying to him, B'Kroivai Akadish. It is the one that are closest to me. We'll talk about it. And what is Aaron's response? That's what Moshe says to Aaron. V'Yidom Aaron. Aaron is silent. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't argue. He doesn't say, why me? Why my children? Why today? Why in the holiest place? Why in the middle of such a tremendous jubilant time? Everything is, he vayidem Aaron. He was quiet. The chosen ones were his sons. And he accepted Hashem's turn. Eventually, the verse finally says, so he calls them and he tells them, remove them from the holy place. You know, unfortunately, the Jewish history has been full with martyrs, with people that have given up their lives for Hashem under very, very difficult circumstances. Today, uh, Baruch Hashem, we live in a free country and 
by and large, we can say that we're safe. And that's why it's so shocking. And the, uh, and the worry is, our worry is that this should not become a common phenomenon that people, like in Israel, when there's a terrorist attack, the newspapers don't report it anymore because it's expected. You know, that's what happens in Israel. That's what happens. In Europe, that's what happens. I mean, this is the second incident in a half a year to the date. And the worry is that this should not become sort of a common thing, uh, that God forbid that we should expect it. And pretty soon, you know, uh, you know, it's going to become like the normal thing. You know, we're living here and, you know, you're Jewish and you go to synagogue or, you know, they'll find other places and, uh, you know, you get gunned down and well done. Um, so, let me share with you a little bit of a story of um, the Rus, the Beis Yosef, he's the one that wrote the Shulchan Aruch. You know, we have the Code of Jewish Law. Now, the Code of Jewish Law is the basis for the entire for the entire Jewish system, legal system, is the Code of Jewish Law, is the Shulchan Aruch. For all generations, till the coming of Mashiach and beyond, the Code of Jewish Law. Who wrote the Code of Shulchan Aruch? Rabbi Yosef Karu. Rabbi Yosef Karu, known as the Beis Yosef, he actually experienced a lot of devastation in his life. He was the one they were chased out first from, from, from Portugal and from, if I know the exact as a kid, they kept on wandering and wandering until he ended up in Egypt. Eventually he ended up in Sfat in Israel, where he wrote the Code of Jewish Law. Now, he was a brilliant mind, and of all uh, the people and all the great uh, rulers, he was designated as the one to write the Shulchan Aruch for all generations. Today, anybody who wants to know an answer to a question turns to the Shulchan Aruch. Any commentator, any goes back to the Shulchan Aruch. Everything goes back to the Beis Yosef. Not to say there's disagreement sometimes, there is interpretation, there's variation. But the Shulchan Aruch is the ultimate code of law. That's the constitution. That's the Jewish constitution is the Shulchan Aruch. That's our law. That's our legal and that's what we follow. Now, you'd be surprised to learn, maybe you know this already, the Beis Yosef also was very much interested in Kabbalah. He was very much in, in Tzafat. There were, the Ari was there, the Marial Kabbatz. The greatest Kabbalists of the time were there. Matter of fact, the daughter of the Beis Yosef married the son of the Ari, the Arizal son. So they were Mechatonim, the Beis Yosef and the Ari. And they talk about the greatest shul between the Beis Yosef being the rabbi and the, uh, and the uh, uh, what's the name, the Al-Kabats being the, the Chazan. I mean, these were the greatest Kabbalists and the greatest geniuses and the holiest people in Tzfat. They lived at that time. And their holiness is still there today. That's why we have Tzfat is such a holy city. And if you go to the cemetery, the old cemetery, you'll see some of these great 
all of the tzaddikim that are buried there. So the Bess Yosef, he wanted very much to learn uh, the Kabbalah. But the Ari Zal, his Bechutn eventually, had a little bit of a different path in the Kabbalah, different than the Ramosha Kordavoy, the Ramak, was a predecessor. And the Ari basically told Rabbi Yosef that he should go study the old fashioned Kabbalah, the Ramak's Kabbalah, shouldn't come to him. But the Bess Yosef insisted that he wanted him. So one time, he bothered him so much that he sort of reluctantly agreed to teach him the Kabbalah his way. As soon as he started teaching, he fell asleep. So he says, it's a sign that from the heaven, you got to learn the other Kabbalah. That's not the Kabbalah for you. But in any event, you'd be surprised to learn that the Bishyosef had this teacher, an angel, who was called the Magid. The Magid gave, taught the him Kabbalah, the uh, Bess Yosef has a sefer, which is called the Magid, in which he transcribes all the encounters and all the matters that he learned in the Kabbalah that he learned from his teacher, he learned from the Magid. The reason why it's so surprising is because the Bess Yosef was a rationalist. <laughs> he was a codifier. He was a halachic authority. You know, he was down, grounded down to the earth a real halacha. That's as most legal mind. It's like telling you a a big law professor, Einstein, you know, talking to angels, you know, you know. So what is the Bess Yosef doing speaking to angels? You know, and it's like but the angels were speaking to him and he records it in his book, in his sefer. He records by the way, he has a lot of books on the Rambam, he has the Kesem Mishnah. He has a lot of books, the Bess Yosef, Yosef Karu, he has a tremendous amount of commentary on the tourism. Bess Yosef, he has various different books in all areas of, of life. And yet, he had an angel speak to him and tell him things. And he records it. And he believed it. <laughs> so he tells the angel. The angel tells him. He says, you have reached such a level in your holiness, in your state, which you are, he says that at your level, you will merit to be Kiddush Hashem, to sanctify God's name. You will die on Kiddush Hashem. That's what he told him. Now, you know, you find in, in, in history, like Rabbi Akiva, for example, we all know the famous Gemara, he sort of prayed, when will I have the merit to die for the sake of Hashem. He prayed that. You know, the story when the Romans, he was teaching Torah, he was 120 years old already. He was an old man. He lived a very long life. He started off late when he was 40. He started to learn Torah. He learned and he taught. He learned for 40 years and he taught for 40 years. He lived 120 years. He was one of the greatest. The Talmud says, that the people who died, those are the ten people that were killed by the government, they are on the highest level, which nobody can ever reach their level. So Rabbi Akiva said, I was looking for the opportunity. When will I have sanctifying Hashem's name? So when they took him out and they, they killed him, the Romans 
force teaching Torah, his students saw all the pain and all the terrors. They said to him, Rebbe, how could you still, you know, still believe and say everything? Look what's happening to you. And he answered them, all my life I was looking for the opportunity to say to Hashem, I love you so much, even if it cost me my life. So he says, now that I have the opportunity, you expect me to renege? He says, so what is it about the Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying Hashem's name? The Magid said to, the Magid is the angel, that said to the Beis Yosef, he told Rabbi Yosef Karu, he says, you will be privileged to die for the sanctity of Hashem's name. Now guess what? The Beis Yosef died at the age of 83 on his bed like all, all people die. He didn't, nothing happened to, to the Beis Yosef. And Beis Yosef records further in his book. He says, I asked the Malach, I asked the Magid, what's going on? How come? How come I didn't I didn't die? I didn't get a kiddush Hashem? What's going on? I'm supposed to die, kiddush Hashem? What happened? And the Malach said to him, "There is something that you've done, according to your level, that you should not have to, and it took away that privilege from you." So look look at the extent. He was going to have a privilege that the Malach told him. He records this. It's authentic, 100%. And the Malach tells him that, or he calls him the Magid, he tells him that because you've done something which you shouldn't, you lost the opportunity. So you're not going to do this. What did he go on to do, the Bess Yosef? He went on to write the Shulchan Aruch. We today, for generation, he was in the 16th century, 15th, 16th century. Today, we still, all these generations, for centuries and centuries, for hundreds of years, we've been all following the Beis Yosef, the Shulchan Aruch, what he wrote. And the Magid is telling him that you lost your opportunity. <laughs> because, so, who gets the privilege to teach thousands and millions of people throughout the centuries and he loses that that's not a that's considered a loss that he didn't die Kiddush Hashem dying of Kiddush Hashem is considered to be a tremendous level those that are close to me get to be sanctified but still uh, it's very bothersome. The very bothersome, this whole concept, and this is what I came up with my own, you know, just my own thing. And, you know, we see, we see this incident definitely, definitely shook up so many people. I'm not talking in the negative way, but I think in the positive way, in bringing about our strength, Am Yisrael Chai, and how he conducted himself and how all the newspapers are covering this. So let's imagine for a second, you know, we don't know God's ways. You know, let's say, God forbid, you know, we see 
people sometimes suffer tremendously before their death. Sometimes people get sick with various different kinds of sicknesses. People have Alzheimer's, people have physical, people have uh, all kinds of painful, painful, and long. I, uh, my mother, a blessed memory, I just had her yard site. That Shabbos, the Shabbos that this happened. It was oh, your insight from my mother. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I thought that she was also a very special, very holy woman. And she died in her sleep. She didn't get up in the morning, that's all. She always said, I don't want to be in no hospital. I don't want to be in no nursing home. And fortunate for her, I say, sometimes you can tell the person by the children she left behind. And you can tell who the person was after her passing or during her later years. My brother and my sister really took such exceptional care of her. I don't think any mother or father can ask for better children than my brother and sister were to my mother. You know, and she wasn't always the easiest customer, you know, to deal with. Fortunately, fortunately, they were able to hold her home. I mean, sometimes the conditions is such, but it wasn't. Sometimes the conditions were impossible, and my brother used to carry her up on his shoulders to up and down. And you know, if the pillow wasn't exactly in the middle, he had to move, and she'd wake in the middle of the night twenty-five times, and he accepted everything with the smile. It's an exception. My brother and my sister, both of them did. did. I tell the story again, I'm going to tell you again. Um, I lived here, so I don't know if I could have done uh, what they did. I don't know if I could live up to that level that they were, you know, that devotion and that dedication. Um, You know, I like to say there was this rabbi who was upset. He was born an orphan, and he was very upset that he didn't have parents to honor he wanted to do the mitzvah. But after he studied a lot, he said, thank Hashem, you know, I didn't have the parents because I didn't know how I could do really honor them the way the Torah requires, you know. Tell it to some of our kids that they should know how you're supposed to respect parents. <laughs> I think our kids need to. <laughs> so, this rabbi said I could never live up to the really expectation. So I had my excuse. I didn't live there, so, you know. But one day my my brother, my sister calls me. He says, yeah, you're living in there, you know, and it's, uh, uh, everything is good. We're taking care. You know, Ma has a eye doctor's appointment. My mother took care of herself to the last day. She didn't leave. She took care of herself. And she had an eye doctor's appointment. And my brother, my sister, my brother was working. My sister was working. They said, I want you to come in to take mommy to her doctor's doctor's appointment. I said, you must be kidding. You want me to drive five hours there, four hours there, four hours back? She's, you got to take her from Brooklyn to Brighton Beach. You know, that's a 20-minute ride by car. I have to come down from there? I didn't really say that. Maybe I thought about it. But I said, hey, finally my sister is calling me saying, do something about it too. Don't just sit back and... And, <laughs> and let us do all the mitzvahs. So I actually drove down. And I tell you, you know, so she actually 
got to there because I was late. I was stuck in traffic. I don't know how she got there, but uh, I think maybe some you know some ride or something, whatever. She got there, and I went straight to the eye doctor, and I was there with her, and uh, and tell you to drag her into the car was feet by itself. You know, I mean, she, you know, it was impossible. That, that was the last time. Shortly thereafter, she passed away. Um, that, uh, in the, but uh, that was the Shabbos, you know. That I was uh, last Shabbos, Zachar Shapesav. That was the Yorzeit. Uh, that was my mother's Yorzeit, and that was the time when this uh, attack took place. But I was thinking, people tell me, you know, your mother was lucky. You know, she died in her own bed, and notwithstanding all of her ailments, her old age, and everything else, but. With all the care, she was taken care of. Okay, I'm not saying, but older is just there's some natural things that happen, and relatively she died peacefully in her sleep. She put on, she lit the yontif and Shabbos candles or the yontif candles at that time, and there was a little light of the yortzeit burning in her room, and she didn't get up in the morning. So I said, you know, it says when uh, Moshe Rabbeinu. Uh, saw how his brother Aaron died in peace, he said, Hashem, this is the kind of death, you know, I want to have. It's uh, a terrible thing. We don't know, really, what was supposed to happen. But for imagine, this person's for sure, there's no question, that this person, this woman's life, that was her destiny, that her life should end. Now, it could end various different ways. It could end, end different ways. It could end in a way. She died quietly, peacefully. Nobody would ever know. Nobody would make a difference. Her life would not make a difference. I'm saying what happened to her, her life and her legacy and everything. If you asked the person, you say, would you choose just to go or would you want to live a lasting generations and touch millions of lives that were touched you maybe that would have been her choice I don't know I can't say we don't know again why Hashem did what he did but if her time was up what you're saying it shouldn't take away from the miracle it shouldn't take away from the miracle that so many Jewish lives were saved I'm not sure if this is a good of a rationale a good explanation or not and again I didn't see it or anywhere I'm just thinking about it to myself, I have to say to myself, listen, this was a tremendous miracle. But her time was there, and she died for Kiddush Hashem. She merited what most people don't merit. She merited to sanctify uh, in, in a such a large way that nobody... Uh, normally has that zuchos. Maybe that's why Rabbi Akiva, maybe that's why the sons of Aaron, that's why that's why it happened in a Beis HaMikdash, it happened in a shul. It's all to tell you that this is actually a very, very holy matter. Again, that's not to justify anything or anybody, but it's just to make some sense that Hashem does what He does for His reasons. Hashem had great pity on us, and I guess we pray to Hashem that He should um, continue to uh, look down upon us, not allow for any of these things. We're not looking for explanations. We're not looking for comfort like that. We're looking for these things not to happen. 
uh, and we need to do whatever we can. And um, I guess that's some of my thoughts. Anybody want to actually uh, uh, a rebuttal or another insight? You know, whatever. You know, we'd be interested to hear other points of view. But Jews revere life, so why would dying be a, the highest? The highest honor. We revere life. We do anything to preserve Absolutely. life. Is that not true? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm just saying, when somebody, we're not looking to die for it, but I'm just saying, if somebody just dies in their bed, if somebody has to die because their time is up, whatever, I don't know what Hashem's. Now, would you want to make an impact with your death? You know, would you like to save many other people's lives through your death? Would you like to do something? Would you like to make... So that's, that's all we're saying. We're not saying that we're sanctifying death. We're just saying if you have to die, mm-hmm. if that's what's meant to be, mm-hmm. then if you, your death, like some people donate their organs. I know. And because they say, look, if I'm dying, I'm not saying it's not a Jewish way, but I'm just giving you the concept. Some people will do something that with their with their death, so that their death should make a, a difference in other in a positive. How many more lives can be saved? How many more people can move? So we're not looking for death. What we're saying is, if the time is up, and this is meant to be, I think she 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 sanctified Hashem's name. She's gonna be a kedusha forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just like not knowing her, but reading. Um, about her life and her legacy, and you actually know your sister, your sister, my, my sister's friend, who's best friends with her. My sister, my 